Matt Lazowitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast. Where each week, my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our big old list, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. How's it going, Will? It's going really, really well. I'm so excited for tonight's episode, and I got some big news I want to share, Matt. Oh. I quit my job today. Mazeltov! I, I quit my job so I can do bat chat full time. Cause I, I was thinking last week, you know, we got 10 episodes in the can. This is number 11 and we're, we're coming along really well. I think I want to devote my whole life full time to this podcast. Well, I'm glad one of us is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this is, uh, this is going to pay the, uh, the, the bills, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Because that, you know, comics journalism and comics podcasting, that's where the big money is. Oh, so, so big. You know, all these creators slaving away, man, that's, it's not where it's at. It's, it's in the journalism and the podcasting. Absolutely. So let's make sure you, you know, make that, that money. This week, if shipping delays and supply chain problems don't muck it up, we'll see the release of Fear State Omega, the wrap up of this autumn's Fear State event. And so we're going to be talking three stories featuring the mastermind of that particular crossover, the Scarecrow. Mr. Spoopy himself, Scarecrow. Indeed. A seminal bat rogue, probably up in that top pantheon, but one that doesn't have a ton of definitive stories. And unfortunately, and we we certainly are going to talk more about this in the bat chat print edition but uh fear state is not really panning out i think to be some kind of seminal event for him it's just kind of it's there but it's not any degree different than joker war or war of jokes and riddles or any of the last random half dozen events that dc has done yeah it's interesting scarecrow has a really good visual a good hook for the character but he never seems to get enough lift to make it into the very top echelon he's maybe an a minus b plus bat villain he's not up there with your jokers your two faces your racial ghouls and i think that probably has to do with the generally the quality of scarecrow stories you get and i think we'll, we'll discuss tonight's and we'll, we'll come to other scarecrow stories he's often a second tier villain he's rarely the focus of a big story you know it's him and simon saint and peacekeeper one in fear state he was one of the villains in nightfall when the big arkham breakout he teamed up with the joker he's in long halloween and he's one of many villains there is a really good legends of the dark knight halloween special that we probably could have done this episode but i'm almost tempted to do all three of those long halloween halloween specials in one episode next halloween because they did three that would work that's but, what we do here we do three stories yep but nonetheless probably odds are most of our listeners know scarecrow if they don't know him from the comics particularly well they know him from either batman the animated series or batman begins but for those are or and sorry to interrupt uh the uh the arkham video games which i believe having read these stories 
video games, best interpretation, best getting him over as a heavy and a credible threat. And I'm not really sure why, but the, the Arkham video games have done it best so far as I can tell. You know, I'll, I'll, I can give you that, especially that final game. John Noble did great voice work for Scarecrow in that final game. Although I, and this is not a story we read and I'll have to have to come to you for the, the citation here, but there is a story in which Crane murders his department chair. Is that correct? <laughs> I believe that is Batman annual number 19, Scarecrow year one, which is alas, not readily available digitally or it totally would have been one of the stories tonight. Because at, let me, let me say for the record, I, I love I love the job I just left, but in some situations, I could empathize with an academic who's like, I, I really don't like my chair. Maybe I wouldn't murder the guy, but I get it. I, I get it. But maybe maybe we'll get to that eventually. Just to put it out there, as we'll sort of mention it, Scarecrow, Jonathan Crane, was a professor fascinated by fear. He was a psychology professor with a specialization in phobias. Crane created a scene in class by firing a live weapon in class, which caused him to be fired and became a super criminal to exact revenge on the dean and on the people who bullied him as a child. He was a weird kid. And we'll get into it, but the classic Scarecrow stories added some kind of fun quirky, silver agey motivations, which we'll, we'll discuss readily in the first story. So we'll, let's just get to that. Go to the first story. I'm uh, going to take a detour, though, and to interrupt you again, sure. I'm Absolutely. sorry. No. My criminal law professor in, uh, in law school, he did this for a couple of years, apparently before my class, but he would bring a grenade into the classroom. Now, he knew that it was a dud, but nobody else knew that it was a dud. And so uh, that was fun. But apparently the administration told him to stop. So alas, Judge Colquitt was no longer permitted to bring his dud grenade into class. Yikes. But yes, our first story for the night is Fear for Sale. This is from Detective Comics, Volume 1, Number 571. Writer is Mike W. Barr. Pencils by Alan Davis, inks by Paul Neary, colors by Adrian Roy, letters by John Workman, edited by Denny O'Neill, with a cover date of February 1987. In this story, Batman and Robin investigate a series of athletes who have started acting recklessly, discovering that the Scarecrow has provided them with a drug that removes all fear, making them act recklessly. In the end, Batman must save Robin after being exposed to the same drug. We've done one Barr Davis story before, the Doomsday Book, which was Mike Barr written with Davis doing the opening and closing chapters of that book. Barr and Davis did a short run on Detective from 569 to 575 with Davis sorry, with Barr finishing out the run with a different artist. It's a favorite run of mine. It's kind of weird. It's kind of quirky. It's not what you'd expect from 1987 post-Dark Knight Batman. But I kind of really like this run. And this is a story that was adapted loosely into an episode of the new Batman Adventures called Never Fear. What did you think, Will? I thought this story was really, really charming. And, and like you said, it's it seems 
strange for the period. You, you would not think this would be 87. This is much more the sensibilities of an earlier age. But I thought it was absolutely charming. And I'll, I'll cop to having some, some strange moments here. But as I'm reading this, uh, I see Batman constantly referring to Robin as Jay. And I'm like, all right, who, who's, who's Jay? Like, is this, is this a Robin I'm not familiar with? Was this a secondary Robin? All right, tertiary Robin? Was this a random Robin that just sort of just squeezed into this issue? Uh, and then I get to the very last page and it's like, oh, fuck, it's Jason Todd. And Batman's ultimate fear is Jason Todd dying. And that, that was a punch square in the dick. Yeah. I mean, this, this closing page where it is literally the worst thing Batman can imagine is Jason Todd dying. Oh my God. It took, it took this issue to an entirely different level. And I'll tell you another weird association my brain made. So part of this book is Batman being exposed to this scarecrow toxin that removes all fear. And he gets this creepy smile on his face. That panel. Oh, I noted that panel too. That smile. Yeah, it's it's so unsettling. And I tell you, I had to think about it for a second. Like, what does this remind me of? And it reminded me totally, again, totally, totally 180 degrees. But it reminded me of Crossed, you know, the Garth Ennis series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, listeners, you can't see this, but Matt just made a face at me because I mentioned Cross. <laughs> but the idea behind Cross is that you get these, these zombie characters who are just basically sadistic, deviant zombies and uh, Ennis and everybody who followed him and Cross was like, gee, how many things can, can a zombie fuck? And that's, that's the purpose of Cross. And so Batman just gets this serene look on his face and it's like, I'm going to stick my dick in a blender. I want to see how that feels. But, you know, the, the crime fighting in control side of Batman's brain is like, don't stick your dick in a blender. Don't do that. So he's he's constantly fighting back against this toxin. And yet he has these moments of like, yeah, I'm king shit. I can do whatever I want. So it was a really interesting take of the Scarecrow's usual MO and charming is all hell. And that ending really, really stuck. Man, I don't know if killing Jason Todd was in their minds at that point. I but they not, uh, they really sold it there at I the end. Do not believe it was because a you can tell this is still pre-crisis Jason Todd. Even though we're, the story is a little after crisis, he's still being written as kind of a Dick Grayson clone versus the edgy asshole that he becomes when he gets his post-crisis origin. This is February of 87. The first part of a death in the family is December 88. And those are cover dates. So, you know, the actual issues came out a couple months before that. So we're still two years, just shy of two years out from death in the family. So I think Jason was still just sort of Robin at that point. But yeah, that last panel is kind of prophetic and tragic. It is. It really is. What I think a lot of readers who've come in since 2005, when Jason was resurrected, 2004, 2005, kind of don't have a feeling for is for that period from 1989 till 2004, five, Jason's death was almost as defining a moment for Bruce as the death of his parents. The memorial for Jason was front and center in the Batcave. It was always something that would weigh on him. 
when he had members of the family out and about. It was his greatest regret was the death of Jason Todd. So this really puts that into perspective, that this was going to be something that would be big when it happened. And it did. And it was it was a great tragedy. And it's something that I feel like we've kind of lost with Jason's return. It took away this second defining tragedy in Batman's life. Random question. In, in the Millerverse, is it Jason Todd that dies? And if yes. so, what's, what's Dick Grayson up to in the Millerverse? <sighs> oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, we will get to that in, I believe it was Dark Knight Strikes Again. It's nothing good. Of course not. Yeah, Jason was the one who died, and that predates even this story. That was just Miller doing something to give Batman the, the tragedy to give up being Batman. I don't remember how this all came about but in dark knight strikes again dick grayson is one of the main villains he's had his mind destroyed and he's this sort of neo joker clown monster oh we have to read that don't we at some point and i oh it's oh dark knight strikes again is Oh, God, it's these three 80-page issues, and, oh, they're a slog. They're a slog. Uh. I mean, I think, I remember, I read the first one, and it was like, okay, this is completely different from Dark Knight. This is not something we've seen before. There, there, there might be potential in this. And then it squanders it page after page after page after that oh there is not there is no potential here there is only darkness yeah but back to anyway yeah back to this story a lot of what sells this and you already mentioned it with that batman smile panel alan davis is a hell of an artist oh yeah if you listen to any of the x-men related podcasts our you know sister show battle of the atom for one davis has a much totally unrelated concept yeah totally totally. unrelated totally alan davis has a much longer history with x books and you will rarely see an x-men fan who does not have a fond recollection of either davis's run on x-men or his run on excalibur or some of his other x-related stuff his batman is much more limited but it's just so cool. Davis draws amazing faces and amazing hair. And his work has just this sense of fluidity to it. It's gorgeous stuff. And you can always tell an Alan Davis character by that, that hair. There's Alan Krenner, who's this daredevil that Batman impersonates to get to the Scarecrow. And he has this wild hair and this evil Knievel-esque costume that's just wild. Davis also actually, other than this Detective Comics run and a couple of other one-shots, did do some of Batman and the Outsiders with Barr, which is, I think, where they first worked together. There's also a bit on page seven of this story where Bruce and Jason are in the Batcave. And there's this one panel with Bruce giving Jason some side eye for being a little too enthusiastic. And it's just (laughs) the look on Bruce's face. 
he draws a magnificent Bruce Wayne. Just this super serious Bruce Wayne that is a delight to look at. And Todd throughout this issue just has like the sweetest, simplest, most earnest looks imaginable. He is Dick Grayson's just joy and youth turned up by a thousand. Like, it's so adorable. It's wonderful. This story is, bear with me on this analogy, but it feels to me like a mix of both some of that Denny O'Neill stuff that we got in Five-Way Revenge with some 66. Yeah. It's got that action-y, pretentious stuff you got with O'Neill, but especially with Jason and some of the bits of dialogue and the little opening caption at the beginning of the issue. There's some real 66 big wacky fun vibes here. Yep. Absolutely. And I love, and this is something that is consistent with the Scarecrow's persona here. And we'll see it again a little bit in the second story. When Scarecrow's committing crimes, he's committing crimes to get money so he can buy more books. Because Scarecrow... Big mood. Big mood, brother. Yeah. If I were to ever become a super criminal, that is exactly why I would be committed. I would commit enough crimes that I could buy all the books that I wanted and then just sit and read until I ran out of money and needed or books and needed to buy, get more money. There's a quote. When I give money, I buy books. If I have any left over, then I buy food and clothing. <laughs> and it's, those are words to live by, at least for me and apparently for Jonathan Crane. There was time now. All the time in the world. Time in the world. And my, my, one, my one little issue with this story is you mentioned the, uh, the stunt guy, the evil Knievel type. And maybe this wasn't entirely spelled out. Maybe it should have been spelled out. Maybe I'm just not reading it correctly. But I had to think about this passage because I think what the story is here, Crane had gone to this evil Knievel character earlier and said, Hey, for X amount of dollars, I will remove the fear from your brain. You can just go out and, you know, do that Snake River Canyon jump a thousand times until you get it right. But we don't see that. We don't see that initial offer. What we see is Crane coming back to a guy, but it's really Bruce, really the Batman. And Crane saying, oh, well, well you know, my offer is still open. You know, I'll, I'll still give you the stuff. And the guy says, no deal. Is that the correct reading of that? Because yes. it was it was a little confusing. Yes, that you're you're spot on there. And yeah, it was a little bit off. Barr at times with his Batman story sacrifices some of that clarity for just wild ideas. Let's fucking do it. Let's do some shit. Yeah, I mean Batman has a has to fight big remote controlled trucks and go through a booby trapped warehouse, and it's just delightful i mean that is that is the one word for most of the bar davis run but especially this story this is just a joy to read i will say that the the one thing that kind of got me is wait is, is he correlating lack of fear with complete suggestibility because there's the race car driver who scarecrow after the guy winds up in the hospital after crashing his race car scarecrow gets him to jump out a window by saying hey bet you couldn't survive jumping out of that window he's like oh yeah i'll take that bet there's a difference between not being afraid of things and 
not giving in to what anybody says to you. But again, ah, Superman, you can be such an asshole when you're drunk. <laughs> Thank you. I was thinking of the same joke. That is yeah, a it's, a, it's a good joke. It's a good joke. Yep. But yeah, that's, that's a little strange, right? But uh, fuck it. It was, yeah. it was good. It was yeah, good. exactly. Davis draws a nice scarecrow. He's long and he's gangly. He's not inhumanly gangly, which we will see coming up in a couple of places. But this is a really fun little story and a great one-off. And importantly, Scarecrow is not distilled into some kind of fucking pathetic character, which we will see. Yes. Yes, we will. So I think we've hit the high points on this one. Time to put it on the board! Okay, so we are at a point where we have 30 big books on this list. My goodness. Number one remains Batman Year One from Batman Volume One, numbers 404 to 407. Number 10 is Wonder Woman, the Hiketia. Number 20 is Batman Overdrive. And down, down at number 30 is Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves. Scary for all the wrong reasons. Oh, yeah. So let's start with our other Barr and Davis book, which was the Doomsday book, which is currently at number 14. That's exactly the spot I'm looking at. And I don't think it's better than Doomsday book because that's got Sherlock Holmes in it. it, I mean, my God. Yeah, it absolutely does. While this might be more of a Batman story, that has Sherlock Holmes, that has Slam Bradley, that has Elongated Man, that has an equally bonkers plot. So yeah, I think we got to give it up to Doomsday Book for that level of commitment to bonkers. Below that is The Secret of the Waiting Graves, Detective 395, the first Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams story. I think that while historically that might be more important than this, I like this story more. I really I like do. It. I do. And I know it's definitely better than Super Heavy and Year Zero and da 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 da. So yeah. I think we got to put this at 15. Yeah. I think we're going to be creating a little Bar and Davis pocket right there. So our new number 15 is Fear for Sale from Detective Comics 571. Next up, we are moving into a story simply entitled Scarecrow. This is from Batman Volume 1, numbers 523 to 524. Written by Doug Mensch, penciled by Kelly Jones, inks by John Beatty, colors by Gregory Wright and Android Images, letters by Todd Klein, edited by Denny O'Neill and Jordan B. Gorfinkel. Cover dates here October and November of 1995. In this two-part story, Scarecrow breaks out of Arkham and decides to exact revenge on three of the guys who bullied him back in high school. That's pretty much it. All right. I am about to hijack the hell out of this discussion because, because I was in Dothan, Alabama over this past weekend. I went to a comic shop, Missy's Com-I-X shop, as Google Maps told me. And I found the floppies for this and I bought them floppies. And let me tell you, for our friend Zach, who will listen to this in seven months when this episode comes out, I got a list of all of the ads and they're delightful. 
They are delightful. You want to you get a sense of what was happening when this book came out? Listen to this. All right. So we got inside cover ads for Levi's jeans. Levi's jeans. Post-serial and Looney Tunes promotion. Batman Forever, the video game with, quote, incredible 3D rendered graphics and, quote, over 80 unbelievable stages for your Super Nintendo, Genesis, Game Boy, and Game Gear. We've got Doom for the Super Nintendo. DC Villains, the Dark Judgment trading card set. I wasn't entirely sure what this next was, but I gather it is a customizable card game, but it's a two-page spread for Tops Stadium Club Football 95. I gathered it's like a customizable card game for football. Yep, it was. I remember selling it at the comic book shop back in the day. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, Six Flags, so big, so fast, so close to home. This one is a little bit unfortunate, but absolutely right for the target demo. Clearasil. Clear a cell. Dragon Dice, a dice game. I don't know anything else about Dragon Dice. Space Above and Beyond, the television premiere. Uh, a Mortal Kombat 3 for home systems ads, uh, spotlighting Kano. Monogram model cars with a bonus Batman comic from 76. A contest to become a French toast clothing model. And finally, a, uh, a half page ad for each of the following video games. Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, and Demolition Man, the video game. Demolition Man, also available for Sega CD. Sega CD. Now, those are, of course, all of the ads. But in the floppies, we also got the letters column. And I want to share a letter from Kathy Schlomer from Edison, New Jersey. Oh, I grew up right near there. Ah, did you know Kathy? I did not, but (laughs) I remember I know Edison. Dear editor, thank goodness. I thought I was the only one who hated Kelly Jones' work. I was getting so tired of reading nothing but praise for his contribution to Batman. But 519 finally includes a few letters that express the way I feel about his work. The artwork over a detective is far superior. That's the way Batman should look. Nolan and Hannah are a great team. The last cover on Batman that I liked was number 514, drawn by Ron Wagner. Again, that's the way we should be seeing Batman. And let me just state for the record, Kathy, you can go fuck yourself. But that all being said, I don't think this was uh, Kelly's best work here. It is not as good by any stretch as Red Rain. It's still a step up from 550. Yeah, that was a mess. Yeah, this was clearly nowhere near as rushed as 550 was we're not going to see the same levels as we do on those batman dracula batman vampire graphic novels since here he is churning out a monthly book but it's still still better than 550 this is not one of the ideal scarecrow stories it was no it it was good to have that discussion of the ads because there's more going on in the one issue of fear for sale than there is in this two-parter yeah it's it's a really shitty story it's scarecrow gets out and he decides i'm gonna get revenge on all the bullies who tormented me in high school i mean who gives a shit about that jesus what a what a dumb story and if that wasn't bad enough we've also got this side plot 
of the Gotham DA running for mayor, the incumbent mayor, and then Jim Gordon also running for mayor. Jim Gordon running as this milquetoast centrist, like, oh, I think both sides don't have it right. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is terrible. It was a regular plot for months during this particular Uh, of both all three books. This is when all three books were tied somewhat tightly together. Armand Kral, who was the current mayor, was, as we've said, Gotham mayors tend to be either corrupt or incompetent. Kral is incompetently corrupt. Nice. He's not crooked. Like, he's not on the take. He's just this power-hungry asshole. And Marion Grange, who is the DA, she's actually Gotham's one decent competent mayor and she's mayor for a couple of years before she's assassinated right before no man's land so you know kind of what you'd expect for the one Gotham mayor who's actually decent she gets shot in the run-up to no man's land poor man yeah uh, it, it makes sense that this would be a longer story right but we got a lot of real estate devoted in these two issues And it goes nowhere. Not a single fucking place. Bruce has all of the candidates over to his house. So, oh, you know, Marion didn't get the invite or something, or she shows up on her own or whatever. Oh, no, that that was was. Madeline Corbett. Ah, We will get to Madeline Corbett in the future. Talk about subplots that wind up going nowhere. That's the Bruce Wayne has a stalker subplot that they wind up in one issue. Oh, I guess we have to deal with this. We laid this out and now, oh, what are we going to do with this? Oh, okay. (laughs) We'll we'll get to that when we get to the issues where Bruce Wayne is accused of murder stories. There are more than you would think. Yeah. Bruce Wayne colon murderer, question mark? That's one of them. And (laughs) there are at least, I, I already know three. We already have that. I have that triptych built. Trust me. Oh, jeez, jeez. It did have the, if not the first, an early appearance by one of my favorite weird forgotten Batman background-ish characters, Mortimer Gunt, the Gotham medical examiner, who's just this weird, bald, hunched over kind of skeletal medical examiner who you're always kind of expecting to turn out to be a supervillain. And in the end, he's like, no, he's just a weird dude who is a medical examiner. And it's like, oh, good old Morty. I, uh, I just do the autopsies here, folks. <laughs> exactly. I like Jones's general conceit on Scarecrow. I mean, his Scarecrow is, is all weird angles and flailing limbs. So a Kelly Jones character. I was never in love with Mensch's Scarecrow. He did write that Batman annual where Scarecrow kills the Dean. So we'll see if that's better when we get back to that one. But he also gave Scarecrow this sort of weird flailing martial arts thing that he does, which was, I guess, to make him more of a physical threat to Batman. But I don't necessarily feel like the Scarecrow should be a physical threat to Batman. And he calls it his quote unquote violent dancing, which is his a nod bizarre to, violent, violent dancing, which is a nod to Legend of Sleepy Hollow, where Ichabod Crane, he would lead the local choirs and would go to the, all these dances. So it, it's a, a Legend of Sleepy Hollow thing. Doesn't that necessarily- seems misplaced as a reference. Uh, I don't like it. There have been links. I mean, that's why he was named Jonathan Crane. Because Legend of Sleepy Hollow thing is in those early appearances. 
and he often looks like Ichabod, but it, it doesn't necessarily work. While I do agree that the mayoral stuff is heavy-handed and doesn't necessarily work in this issue, I like that kind of world-building that the mayoral election in Gotham would be a thing versus when we got the Mayor Nakano election, which was kind of like, he was there for two issues. It was like, oh, he's running for mayor. Oh, he's won. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you on that, even though that I didn't like how it played out here. If you're going to include that, it definitely needs to be more of a story. Nakano is just such a, just such a nothing character. Like, all we know about him is that one, he was a cop, two, he has a disability, and three, he's in over his head. There's there's nothing else. There's no motivation about why he wanted to run, what he had, hopes to achieve in office. It's just him, like, always either he's screaming about something or he's in peril or he's in peril and screaming about something. So, yeah, I would take what we have in 523 and 524 over the current expression of politics in Gotham. This isn't a weird little story. Scarecrow is just, I won't say out of character because his character has never been consistently presented across his appearances in the Bat books. But here he's got these weird, goofy asides. He's talking to a pet crow, which is a strange thing. He talks to himself a lot which I, I can kind of get behind because he is this sort of tortured academic, but he spends a lot of time talking to himself. And his weird obsession with bullies is, oh, I know you're a supervillain and that leaves you with a stunted development, but find a better thing to be obsessed about. I mean, I was bullied and I'm not out there killing people. Yeah, yeah, you, you got to grow out of that, bud. It just, it lowers the character when the character is obsessed about these little petty grievances from high school. High school. I would totally understand, and I think it would be truer to the character if he's going after people, oh, you were published in that journal that I wanted to be published in. You, you, you took my research. You didn't properly, you, you didn't properly cite me. You were embarrassed to cite the work of Jonathan Crane in your article. How dare you? I'm going to make you afraid for what you've done. That would be more interesting. I would love that. That <laughs> absolutely has way more potential. Another touch that I did like is, and this is not originated here. This is around for a while, but Scarecrow's fear gas dispenser here is a skull that shoots the fear toxin out of the eyes and mouth of the skull. It's like, okay, that's a neat little visual. It gives him a little extra visual cachet that you don't get. Joker has all of those gadgets and Penguin has his umbrellas and Two-Face has his coin. This gives Scarecrow a visual weapon that works. The scythe that he's often shown with is cool, but it's, it's just a scythe. It's not anything specific. Just fear ornamental. Gas, right. The fear gas skull is actually functional and nifty. And it's a totally different approach than we'll see in the last story as to how he delivers his fear gas. So Scarecrow sets up his final set of traps for Batman in an abandoned amusement park. How many abandoned amusement parks does Gotham have? Littered with them. Yeah. Fucking, fucking full of them. 
I mean, Joker has all of Amusement Mile, and this one wasn't there. So Scarecrow just found another one. Gotham Real Estate is probably two-thirds abandoned amusement parks and abandoned warehouses. Just what it is. And nobody wants to redevelop them because odds are if you start redeveloping them, you're going to open up a supervillain lair and you don't want to have to do that. And like, There must be some kind of real estate disclosure on that. And when you're trying to sell, it's like, so has the Joker ever been in this warehouse? Define ever. And, and if you try to redevelop something, I'm sure Falcone, Thorn, you know, the Gotham mob, it's just got, it's got its fingers all over labor and you're not getting anything without giving them some money. And so why even try? Why even try? So just leave that, uh, leave those painted parks where they are full of supervillains. Not that this character wouldn't be introduced for another decade plus, but Paul Dini eventually created a character called The Broker, who was literally a real estate broker for supervillains. Gotham villains would come to him and be like, I need something that has this theme. And this guy would find the proper abandoned warehouse, amusement park, whatever, for those supervillains. And that's a great little hook for a character. And it makes sense that they would need somebody like that. The same way with the under, was he the underbroker? The under something or other from the Tenian run, who is the banker for Gotham supervillains. It makes sense that they would need this support structure. You call the broker, then you call the carpenter, and then you call you call the service who hires your uh, your henchman, your henchwoman, and then uh, you get to work. Pretty sure the the carpenter and the broker were introduced pretty much right on top of each other because they're both Dini creations from similar from the same run. So I'm sure Deanie connected them. Yeah, the Carpenter was introduced in Detective 841 in April of 2008. And the Broker was Gotham City Sirens number one in August of 2009. So just about a year apart by the same writer. So he was clearly building that concept. And I love it. I, again, I like when you build a world around Batman. But you could just introduce Ghostmaker. Just just throw him in there. He's he's always been there. He's always been Batman's friend and rival. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We get to talk about Ghostmaker in print. I'm so excited. Yep. I was just this is a tangent, but we're gonna go on it because you know we still have a little bit of time left for this story and there wasn't much to Hey, if you don't like tangents, get your own fucking podcast, you piece of shit. <laughs> so right before this, I was reading the new issue of Batman. We got to a big splash of Ghostmaker, and I'm like, okay, maybe it's maybe it is just me and Will. But I was like, I'm sitting here, it's like, honey, can you look at this? It's uh, my wife, who's not a comic book person at all. I wanted a completely outside uh, opinion. So I just showed her, like, what do you think of this costume? She, she looks at it, and she, uh, she takes off her distance glasses and puts on her reading glasses and looks at it more closely no she just <laughs> goes back to reading yeah that, that was it i was like i feel validated i feel validated i don't like it i don't like it i don't think it works it's yeah. bad yeah god bless her god yeah. bless her one other thing about oh, a couple other things about this story before we move on in the first part this is Shortly after Bruce has returned to Gotham after Nightfall, he's shortly before this defeated Azrael, 
Dick Grayson took over as Batman for a brief time while Bruce went out into the world to finish getting his head on straight. And so now he's just come back. And there's this internal monologue early in the first part where he's wrestling with losing his edge and dealing with trying to maintain his edge while not giving into the obsession that he once had and the fear that's intrinsic in that. And I was like, okay, that's some real psychology to dig into, especially when you're dealing with a scarecrow story. And then it goes nowhere. After yep. those two pages, it never gets back into that. And it was like, but there was potential in that for him to get dosed with fear toxin and have to deal with it or thinking about crane and thinking about his own fears and i wanted there to be more with that mensch isn't a bad writer i mean we've seen that with red rain and we'll see that with other batman stories that he writes but this was during a period where he was doing a lot of villain of the month stories it was a bunch of two or three parters where he was just hitting a lot of the mid-tier Batman villains. And some yeah, upper and 525, I think we have uh, Mr. Freeze. Yeah, yep. 525 is a Freeze story. And this is right after a Killer Croc story. Where do we get some of Mench's Legends of the Dark Knight stuff? Because he did Prey, which is a, a Hugo Strange story. And then Terror. Wow, that one's, I forgot about that. Terror is a Scarecrow, Hugo Strange story. Two evil psychologists versus Batman. And he did Conspiracy, a three-parter with J.H. Williams fairly early in his career. Wow, I'd forgotten how many of those Legends of the Dark Knight arcs Mitch did. On top of this mammoth run on Batman, a nearly 60 to 70 issue run on Batman here after doing... 20 or 30 issues in the late 300s. I mean, he's he's got a lot of Batman under his belt. He does write a great Alfred. The, whole, the interactions between Bruce and Alfred here with Alfred just being so wonderfully dry as Bruce is planning to abandon this party and Alfred reminding him, ribbing him gently about needing to be Bruce Wayne. I miss Alfred. I just miss a monthly dose of Alfred. One day, one day, he's coming back. It'll happen. It'll happen. Okay, I don't think we have much else left to discuss in this story. Time to put it on the board. Okay, so we're scrolling down here. Yes, sir. We already said it's better than Chasing Clay. This is better than... Batman 550, the previous yes. Mensch Jones story from this run. Yes, if only because it doesn't have that weird, weird history of Clayface exposition that was just <laughs> terrible. It was nice. Scarecrow's history was dealt with in about three panels. It was a real quick, like, hey, just in case you don't know this character, boom, boom, boom. There you go. You got everything you need. But the story is not good and it's not jones's best work so i mean i think we're looking toward the bottom yeah i mean i think it still is i i wouldn't put it right above chasing clay because right above that is the last batman story which is bonkers and fun but not much comes of it it matters even less than this story does in the grand scheme of things because this does forward the mayor of gotham plot this does have i didn't mention it a, a fun some fun interactions between batman and harvey bullock that is, weird looking harvey bullock yeah it's a it is a weird looking bullock 
Jones always drew a weird bullock. He was weird looking and chasing Clay, too. If we put it above that, the next up is Case of the Chemical Syndicate, the very first Batman story, which isn't much of a Batman story. This one is a Batman story, at least. But I don't think I can put it above the next story, which is Gotham by Gaslight, which, for all of its flaws, that Mike Mignola art there is real nice. Duh, but I hated Gotham by Gaslight. Yes, you did. If we put it above Gotham by Gaslight, it can't be above Holy Terror. No. Holy Terror was bonkers in so many ways. and had That's comic great... book writing on, like, acid. Yeah, it had great Norm Brayfogle art. So you, you're thinking in between Holy Terror and Gotham by Gaslight? Yeah, you know, those three books from that episode 17 years ago have been hanging out together, all clumped up. Maybe we should start separating. Yeah, because you know what else? There's more Batman in this than Gotham by Gaslight. A 48-page book that has maybe 10 pages of Batman. All right, so if I get a time machine, one, I'm going to kill Hitler. Two, I'm going to stop 9-11. Three, I'm going to uh, interrupt the editing process on Gotham by Gaslight and say, hey, stop this. Do better. More Batman in your Batman comic. More Batman. And maybe you should aim higher than Jack the Ripper. Okay, so putting it in there, that makes it our new number 27. Scarecrow from Batman numbers 523 and 524. And now, speaking of bonkers... (laughs) <laughs> but note, bonkers is not a bad word, and we'll make no. that kind of clear here. Our final story of the night is Batman Judge Dread, Judgment on Gotham. Oh goodness, goodness! What a what a weird book. And, yep. and let me state right here at the beginning, because this is maybe my only real note aside from this story is weird. I think Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo have a lot to answer for because I, you know, I had seen this reference made before, you know, Judge Death. I'm sorry. There is no way. There is no way you can independently create the character of the Batman who laughs without pulling him directly uh, from Judge Death. I mean, my goodness, it's not even it's not even like an homage. It's not evocative. It is a straight ripoff, and uh, it's it's fucking shameless. I mean, my God! I, even when you get into the character talking about like his story elements, oh, uh, he was from an alternate universe that went kablooey, where they killed everybody on the planet, and then he switched universes. Huh? I wonder what that sounds like, and just the visuals. And I'm like, again, you guys have a lot to answer for. I don't know how DC editorial just let this happen. But this is no innocent mistake. This is direct copying. No other explanation for it. Before we get any deeper, just got to throw out some credits here. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) No, no, please. The writers are Alan Grant and John Wagner. Art, which is in this case, pencils, inks, and colors by Simon Bisley. Letters by Todd Klein. Edited by Denny O'Neill and Steve McManus. With a cover date of December of 1991. In this story, Judge Death, the alternate reality evil judge, takes a dimension hopping belt, hops into Gotham, and Batman winds up fighting Death and getting jumped over into Mega City One, where he confronts 
Judge Dredd, and they all wind up back in Gotham to stop Death, who has teamed up with the Scarecrow. This is crazy comics. Again, in all the fun, insane ways that you can have crazy comics. Dread and Batman are two characters that have quite a few similarities, but also have major fundamental differences. Every time anybody ever says that Batman's a fascist, no, (laughs) no. Judge Dredd is a textbook fascist. People often forget Dredd was created as a parody. Dredd was created as social satire of the police stateness of Thatcher's England by John Wagner, co-writer of this book. Alan Grant was Wagner's regular, one of his regular artistic collaborators. The two of them worked together on Grant's first run on Detective for a while. Grant, who we read A Clash of Symbols, his Joker story not too long ago, and who wrote a really long run on Detective and Shadow of the Bat and a little bit of Batman, too. And the art here, uh, Simon Bisley, who is wild. We uh, saw him in Batman Black and White with Neil Gaiman on A Black and White World, and who I've met at numerous conventions. And he is everything you'd expect from a guy who draws stuff like Bisley. He (laughs) sits there at his table with a beer, and he's just drinking and swearing and being jovial and British in the best possible way. He completely defaced me and previous guest of the show, Dan Grote, uh, our friend Rob's, copy of the Lobo paramilitary Christmas special that he drew Ah. in the, like Rob said, go nuts and Bisley went nuts. He's, he's a fun, funny, really crazy man. And his art works perfectly for this story, which is so big and so over the top. And Bisley turns that, I won't even say he turns it up to 11. He turns it up to about 13. Breaks the goddamn knob. I'll say this. So I I cracked this open uh, the first time last night when I was one, sleepy, and two, uh, drinking a little bit of the old corn whiskey. And um, it it was not a good combination because I I think one of the strengths of this book, uh, looking back on it, having read it when I was both awake and sober, there is zero exposition. Like zero, none. It doesn't tell you what's happening. You just have to pay attention. Uh, And I I like that, right? But at the very beginning, if you are drunk or sleepy or both, it's a little confusing. But I was able to get power through that. And I I really enjoyed this. And for the same reasons that you said, it's absolutely bonkers. Like totally bonkers in the best kind of crossover way that you can imagine. The one book that has kind of similar vibes in my mind totally different aesthetic and kind of age target the star trek the animated universe or the animated series crossing over with transformers the animated series like again it's just total nuts total nuts like we don't stop to explain anything it's just like what kind of fun shenanigans can we get into and this book is all about dark fun shenanigans lots of gore lots of death and to, to just kind of focus on Scarecrow here for a second, he is an alpha in this book. He is preeminent above Judge Death. And I really like that, especially coming after 
523, 524, where he is just such a, a mewling kind of pathetic character. Here he is like, you do not fuck with me. I fuck with you. You don't fuck with me. I don't care what you are, you you ghost thing. Uh, and <laughs> I think one of my favorite parts of the book is where he scares he scares death, who is like an apparition. I scared a ghost. I'm awesome. Like he has that moment in the book. How fun is that? Bisley does a handful of splash pages throughout this issue. A couple of one great one of Batman, a great one of death, one of Batman riding on the back of Judge Anderson's motorcycle. Oh, I love that one. That one's great. But the one of what happens when Scarecrow hits Judge Death with the fear gas and what you see as Judge Death's greatest fear is brilliant. It's like unicorns and hearts and, and puppies. bunnies. Bunnies. There, there were bunnies. Yeah, it, that's totally amazing. It's great character work and great art and great imagination. This is, again, this is just a fun, fun book. And the creative team, you could tell, put a lot of heart and care into this. There was a nice touch. You have often commented on how frustrating weird lettering can be. And one thing I like here is both Death and Scarecrow have normal lettering inside weird bordered word balloons. It's much less disjointing because you can read it. And they don't change the colors. It's not red text on black background. It's not even what we see now in the current run with Scarecrow, white text on black background. But it sets it off as something different and strange and gives you a different vibe. And, and I love it. I love it. You don't have to totally change fundamental lettering concepts to get across a different vibe. And I appreciate that here. And uh, I'm glad that you, uh, you made me think of it because you're absolutely right. This worked. Have you read any Dread besides this? Jeez. I know, I know I read some contemporary Dread, some kind of miniseries here or there. I think some of the IDW Dread, I think, but not any of the more classic stories. I was just curious. I, I've read bits and pieces. I've gotten some of the classic stuff in trades that I've read. Dread is always best when written. Dread and Batman work in stories in the same way, even though they're not the same character in they have very distinct personalities. They both work as the straight man in a much weirder world. And so I think that helps this story. And Dread, oh, Dread is such an asshole. And he's such an asshole in this story. Trying to sentence Batman when Batman punches him in the head. Oh, might have been technically before, but now, 10 years assaulting a judge. And Batman's making Keep 20. counting. <laughs> Hits him again. Oh, it's so good. Bruce just stands up to him. And I love Anderson and the way Anderson is playing in this story. She's a great character. And she has this rivalry, rivalry might not be the right word, but the history with death. And so her being like, Joe, you're being an idiot. We need to stop death. And this guy is the one who can help us makes a lot of sense. And Anderson's one of the only people who will stand up to dread. Batman and dread both need characters who will say you have gone too far. And 
they both need to be able to listen to those characters if they're going to have any depth. So yeah, I did like Anderson here, even though I didn't know anything about her. The other dread character that appears in here is Mean Machine Angel, who is a pure wacky. He's got a dial on his head that indicates how pissed off he is, and it makes him headbutt things. And you know, I was I was kind of on the fence about this book, but I'm reading it. I'm slowly getting more and more into it. And then I'm at the point where I'm absolutely totally sold on it. When we get the quote from uh, Mean Machine here, his, uh, his knob gets a little twisted and he says, I'm going into a butt frenzy. A butt frenzy. An uncontrollable butt frenzy. Butt frenzy. That- I'm like, fucking sold. I'm, yeah. I'm here for this. An uncontrollable butt frenzy was the moment of like, I don't want every comic to be like this, but we need more comics that just, we're in a world where guys dress in bat costumes and ultra fascist future judges exist. Lean Let's into, lean into it. Yeah. I still want year ones. I still want your Adult stories. Right. Yeah. But sometimes I just want a story that is big and wild and knows that it's that and has fun with it. Yeah, and, and Death, when he's reincarnated in Gotham as, as a corpse, he's like, oh, well, I need my, my official you know, judge robes. And so one of Scarecrow's henchmen brings him like, oh, here's some beef ribs. It kind of looks like one of your shoulders, I guess. I did the best I could. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> we, we don't, I couldn't find you a, a, a pterodactyl. So here's a rubber chicken. I wrote death on a, like a, what was it? Like a piece of paper or something? It, it was a, a label from a poison bottle. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was so goofy, but just priceless. And, and Scarecrow is delivering the fear toxin just through aerosol cans that the label says definitely ozone destroying on them. That's a very dread, very tongue in cheek, social satire kind of moment that you get in a dread story. Bisley, by the way, is another one of those artists who, like Kelly Jones, draws Batman's cape with a mind of its own, which is great. In many ways, and maybe this is this may, might be a good way to summarize it, but a bad way to summarize it, I don't know. This is the darkest episode of Batman 66 you could possibly imagine. It is, for that world, incredibly dark, because there's gore here. There are beheadings. Judge Death himself gets impaled on uh, on like a fence, and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm fine. It's no big deal. But it's got that same wackiness. And yet all of the characters are true to themselves. It doesn't feel weird or out of place, but there's a lot of just comedy and dark comedy in this book. The fact that the final battle takes place at a heavy metal show. Living death. death. Living death. And death just massacres the entire band on stage while singing a riff on Sympathy for the Devil. I fucking forgot that. It's so good. It's perfect. And, and then you get a guy in the audience who's like, hey, uh, guys, I think this is real. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
and again, this is Gotham City, so there is a good chance that more than one concert has ended in a similar way in the past couple of years. It's not like this is probably unheard of. This is fun. This is fun. Just, just stupid, messy, gore, silly fun that, again, Snyder and Capullo, maybe they didn't rip this off directly, but they get a lot to answer for with this, uh, this Batman who laughs. I think that we've talked this one through, so... Time to put it on the board! This one's tricky. I'm going to make a proposition for you. Okay. I'm going to propose. Just like we split up our Elseworlds, how about we split up our Snyder? How about Batman Judge Dredd at new number 18? What do you think about it there? Or is that too low? Because again, this is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's not important. I mean, it's it's not top 10. It doesn't have that much weight as a Batman story. It's going to be real hard for any kind of crossover to, I think, make the top 10. Yeah, at least no intercompany, none of those intercompany crossovers. I mean, there might be, we might get to some points where there's some other like Batman, Superman stories or Justice League stories that might wind up up there. But this kind we, of thing. We, we ain't putting Batman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the top 10. Yeah, I think you're, because you go above Super Heavy, then you've got Secret of the Waiting Graves, which while not as fun, is still has a gravitas to it as that first O'Neill Adams Batman story. And it is a very much a Batman story. This is a half a Batman story, half a Dread story. So it doesn't quite, and granted, we have Wonder Woman the Heikatia, which is a Wonder Woman story up at number 10, but it is such tremendous comics. Yeah, it's real good. It deserves that spot. I'm looking at it. I'm just trying to figure out if it goes in between Zero Year and Super Heavy or in between Super Heavy and Secret of the Waiting Graves. It's more fun than Super Heavy. Uh, Jesus, is it ever. But Super Heavy A has issue 44, which we've said everything else in that story weighs down that one issue. One of these days we're going to come back and, and rank Batman 44 on its own. One day. But also the Alfred stuff in there is heartbreaking. Bruce's choice is heartbreaking. There is that eerie interaction between the somewhat cured Joker and the just remembering Batman that is really creepy. Yeah, I think in between those two is a decent spot for this. So that puts the new number 18, Batman... Judge Dread, Judgment on Gotham. All right. So that looks like we have now hit our three stories for the week. 33 in total. My 30. goodness. We are chugging right along. Next week, we're going to be doing a theme that we haven't hit yet. This time, an episode focusing on one of Batman's allies. Ooh. And in this case, one of Batman's oldest and best known allies, Dick Grayson, the first Robin, as we look at three versions of Dick Grayson's origin. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at BatChatComics, and the show is now available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on ComicsXF.com. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLaz1013. And I'm at Will Nevin. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at comicsxf.com or 
at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat Roundup of new Bat books. For my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend, Dan Grote, and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, and all the other stuff that Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.